from historic Ellicott City, it's the Gamers Core Podcast with your host, Tim TPK McManus. What's up, everyone? Welcome back. Episode two of the Gamers Core Podcast. And I am here once again with Judge Brendan. And we have another guest, one of our original Dungeon Masters and a judge. Judge Micah, how you fellas doing today? Doing well, thank you. Doing great, Tim. Brendan, awesome. Good to have you all back here. And, and today, you know, Brendan, we were talking about this for the past couple of weeks, gearing this out and... And we're talking about the fun and the challenges of running a large RPG party, whether it's for Dungeons and Dragons and DCC. And Mike, I know like we've had lengthy conversations, sharing stories, sharing tools and and tactics and and tips. And I wanted uh, to get you all here on the show. I once again, pick your brains and your, your skills and experiences for the community at large. Uh, to talk about, honestly, what it's like to run a large uh, gaming group. You know, I think personally the sweet spot is between maybe four to six gamers. You can get some really, really quality time at the table. But I'm sure we've all been in that position where, you know, next thing you know, everyone wants to play and you just don't want to say no, or you've been asked to come on in and be that guest judge, be that guest DM for uh, like an office party, a Christmas party, or just a regular group in general. And as game masters, dungeon masters, judges, we all know we got to prepare, prepare, prepare. And you're in for either a lot of fun or a lot of pump in the brakes mm-hmm. and all. So wanted to get your guys opinion on it. Like what, what would you say if, if there's a dungeon master out there, a game master, I'll turn to Micah. Cause uh, Micah, you're, you're our fresh guest on the show. You know, I know you've been playing the, the game uh, RPGs in general for the past 25, 35 years young, not to call you out on, on right. years of wisdom there by any chance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, hey, you know, with all your experience at the table, man, like what would you say is, is best when I come to you and say, like, hey, I got eight players, we want a game. Like what's going through your head and, and what would you say is the steps you need to take to just get things prepared? Sure. Um, I would, well, first of all, thank you for, for the mad props on the, yeah, I think it's 35 years now um, since my first D&D group back in middle school. I would say the the first question that comes to mind is a question of rules familiarity. Is everybody at roughly the same place with their rules familiarity? Because even with a group size of eight to maybe I'd say as many as 12 or 13, if everybody's at the same basic place in, in their knowledge of the rules, then combat is going to be slow. Not necessarily true. If, if everybody is new to the game, combat is going to be slow. If folks are more familiar with it, if they've been playing it for a while, as is the case now with many of our groups with 5e, then it, it can go a little faster. That's always my first question. Like, where where are they? Are they complete newbies? Are they veterans, etc.? Then What's the, uh, the, the most ahead. amount of gamers you've had at the table, though? Huh. Um, I, I did have a, a group where I, I took a corporate commission and I had 14 players at the table I was running Dungeon Crawl Classics. I ran it on a in, in a presentation room at a conference table 
the room was wired for sound. So I, I had a mic and we had everything up on the big projection screen. So I had a map. I had individual tokens for everybody on the map, on the screen. And unfortunately, in that instance, there, there was a great diversity in rules knowledge. So there were some folks who had played AD&D back in the early 90s. There were some folks who had played a little bit of Dungeons and Dragons uh, since 2000. But then I'd say maybe half the group had, had never played a tabletop RPG at all. I handed out dice and just kind of let people know what was going on. Um, but yeah, that, that, was, that was a bit of a slog. And, and it was just a matter of uh, rapid fire. Like, okay, group one, you're up, go. Group two, you're up, go. And, and just like maintaining that sense of urgency, that, that's what kept it moving. No, how many people would you say were at the table that time, though? What, what are we talking here? Like, like eight? Yeah, that was 14. People? 14? Yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that was 14. Well, I, what about I uh, you, Brendan? When, when you were gaming it, when you played a large group or DM for a group, what was the largest you've ever had at the table? Well, I'll tell you one thing, guys. I My strategy is kind of like the uh, the Joshua, the computer from uh, War Games. Uh, the only winning move is not to play because I. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think absolutely what Micah is saying. I mean, you know, if you have a group of large players, let's not undervalue uh, the player part of the equation because if you're not sure how much damage that spell does or how grappling works, I'm going to come up with a quick rule of thumb and we can look it up after the fact. Um, and then the other, uh, one of the other main things that I've noticed when you have large player groups, and this is something that comes up when we play in our uh, our Frost Maiden campaign, which has uh, seven or eight players. Uh, <laughs> um, eight players. Don't do uh, individual initiative. I think we kind of like go around the table a lot, you know, just kind of like in table order, or at least it seems to work out that way a lot. So, you know, one player rolls, and then, you know, monsters kind of go at 12 and 6 o'clock. And it's just like you're playing any board game where that's the most natural thing in the world. Whose turn is it? Oh, it's that guy to my left's turn. That seems to speed things up for me immensely. Those are my two big ones, player, knowledge, and no individual initiative. And it almost seems like they would uh, have a, a set of, like, quote, systems you know, in place. Like, so I'll tell you, like, Brendan, you brought up the Icewind Dale game. That game... Eight players, eight fantastic players. We have a lot of fun, and it works. And the reason I think it works is because, one, we have a pretty senior group. There's very few players that haven't really played before, or at least they have a year of playing under their belt. But I think meeting with the players prior to to set expectations and like determining how things are going to work at the table was crucial because that helped establish like baseline knowledge and then expectations across the group. And we've both seen several sessions. This Icewind Dale group here at Gamers Core has been uh, playing for about nine months. And we've actually like experimented and tried different methods when it came to the combat. Uh, originally, we were doing it the old school way. Everyone was rolling and we kind of looked at each other like, wow, this is taking a lot of time to kill five goblins. Yeah. Uh, so then we drew like what Brendan said. Hey, do we do a group initiative and share on? that one adventurer versus the one monster and see who topped the other. And, and we finally hit our groove to where we do that, that mass initiative. But I'll tell you, gents, for me, I, I ran that game, which is still running at eight people. And we've hit our, our battle rhythm, if you will. Yeah. And maybe you'd agree to this or not with, uh, with some of the things that, that go off in my head when it comes to large groups. But I've also ran 
a table of 14 players, but all young teenagers that repeatedly reminded me how bad I sucked at the DM, knowing <laughs> that I only started playing a month prior. So it was very humbling. I learned quick, but uh, I've learned from several of the DMs. Uh, Micah, you were actually a great mentor coming on in, and others that picked the brains on uh, and different uh, philosophies at the table. But I think for me, when it comes to running a large table, obviously session zero is, is crucial to know what the game, unless it's a one shot, you're just going for it. But uh, like meeting with the players, understanding where they're coming from, setting expectations, and then uh, controlling the table. Because when there's a, like eight players or a large group, like everyone wants their, their fair share, right? Like everyone wants to spotlight a little bit. And combat, like Brendan, you said it best, that if you have eight players, and you have a gamer that takes about a minute or two minutes to do their thing, decide what they want to do. That means that it's going to take another 20 minutes, if that, to come around to that player or another half hour at times. And that is what pulls down the, the, uh, the, the control in the game and slowing down the game. And mind you, if that's just one round and you're fighting like an end boss, you could go for 10, 20 rounds before you even get there. I firmly believe in using, um, you know, real life timers. So if you've got that player who can't decide which of his eight spells he wants to use, you know, 30 second timer, you got it. And if you don't get it, uh, sorry, you know, those orcs uh, overran you while you were thumbing through your spell book. Yeah, and creating that sense of urgency. I know we were talking previously before, but you know, at, a t at the table, you set the time limit, and I get your opinion on this, Micah, too, is that false sense of time, uh, you know, sense of, uh, of urgency could actually get the adrenaline pumping at the table and, and get people even more involved, more focused, even as they're waiting another seven players before their turn. You know, when it comes to setting a time limit, though, like, what are, what are some things that you guys do in terms of the actual mechanics? I've seen DMs actually no kidding you sand clocks they have like digital or what are what are some things you all do at the table to bring it and, and enhance it i've not used the timer before but i love that idea generally i use the timer to to track how much time i have left in the session because i i always want to be cognizant of of people's uh time availability uh, one of the things that helps me maintain Speed and efficiency during combat, though, is, is a combat tracker. I usually set it up before the game begins. And a lot of, if they haven't leveled up recently, I can just transfer the data over from previous sessions. And that's just character name, player name in columns. And then AC, hit points, passive perception, and effects like whatever effects yeah. they have on them at the time. And then when their turn comes up, I say, okay, player X, it's your turn. You have this effect on you. Go ahead and take your turn and then roll a save against the effect. And then I can also keep track of how much damage I've done against a particular target. Now, to a point that you brought up earlier, Brendan, Generally, I, I don't split up my opposing force unless they are radically different in power levels. Yes. So last week I had an orc war chief and um, a couple orogs along with uh, an orc priest of Grumsh. 
And the orc priests and the orogs went on the same initiative, and the war chief went on a separate one. Just because he, he was the one in charge. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. So I could have kept everybody together, and I, I decided that he, he should be separate because he's he's kind of standing off on his own. Um, but yeah, having all of that information and even the, the AC, the passive perception, um, and the HP of, of my opposing force characters right there on that, that one sheet. I mean, an 8.5 by 11 sheet of paper... Or a three by five index card is your best friend at, as a DM yeah. for keeping everything organized behind the screen. And when, when you're talking about wanting to maintain efficiency in combat, that's the key. You, you got to have a tracker. I've seen a lot of tools that that help you with that process over the years, whether it's you know magnetic this or dry erase that. But I'll tell you honestly, an eight and a half by eleven sheet or a three by five index card is is definitely the the easiest and most cost effective. Definitely. Oh, man, I could definitely enhance my play using a tracker because if there's one uh, or, uh, sin to me as a DM is skipping over a player in combat or at any Oh, turn. yeah. Oh, it's so bad, and I feel Am I going to get a I've turn now? It. Yeah, that or, or, like, you can actually see some people are so involved, and it's just like they've been patiently waiting. If they're upset or frustrated, they have right to be frustrated, but some people, like, get hurt. By it. And I'm like, oh, and I feel horrible to where I'll give them extra stuff when I come around. But you're you're absolutely right. I think not only a combat tracker, but just any type of tracker behind that notorious DM screen could help on out. Because mind you, we've all been in the seat where there's a million things going on. You're trying to pull at certain plot lines, listen to the gamer, tracking all your notes and little rules. And you just it, it incidentally happens. But um, it's one of those little mechanics that could absolutely enhance that and i agree with you combat tracker is the way to go or a tracker in general here's something that uh you know just the in the whole in our ongoing dcc versus 5e discussion tim um that that doesn't seem to come up in 5e but is definitely a big part of dcc which is morale yes. um not all fights are going to be to the death you know those those orcs they sized you up wrong they you know they thought you were easy pickings for some gold and some swords but, you know, they erred and they're going to fail their morale check after half of them are slain and then they just beat it. They pound sand. And that's good, too, because that also trains players to like, oh, yeah, not every fight has to be to the death. We're getting our butts handed to us here. Maybe we ought to retreat. That's one thing you can do. You can also um, reduce the individual hit points of the monsters. So make it very cinematic. So, you know, in, in Lord of the Rings or in, you know, a James Cameron movie, they're dropping enemies left and right. The foes don't have these massive wells of hit points, but maybe there can be more of them. So you don't have as many lingering monsters to sit around and kind of, you know, find, you know, very granularly track their hit points. Those are just two things that I think help speed up combat. Yeah, oh, Brendan, that's a great down. point. Yeah. In, in 4E, we, we had a, a monster template called the Minion. The minion could hit you hard based on its character level, right? So if it was like a CR4 creature, it, it was going to hit hard. But when you hit it back, it only had one hit point. Yeah. And you generally didn't know that, though you may have a clue, is if the DM swarmed you with a dozen or more of, of the bad guys, then you, you, you could take a guess that maybe you were in a minion battle. Best rule in 4E, hands down. Absolutely, yeah. 
that's that's something that I think a lot of people wish they had held over in 5e. So I did. Yeah, right, exactly. Yeah, I, I brought that to bear in my 5e campaign quick. Yeah. So that when there, there were 20 enemies kind of squared off against the party of six, and they're looking at the situation, they're like, we can't take them. Yeah. And I look at the party and I say, you got to have faith. Go for it. Roll initiative. And then they got into it and they realized that they, they were one hitting these guys. And then they started to realize, oh, this is a little different. This isn't exactly rules as written. Yeah. So how do you all go about, though, like with all that being said, even the mechanics, because, you know, you have some players that are chomping at the bit like combat is their thing. They're loving it. Others like the the RP and strictly just RP or just the problem solving nature of, of RPGs, whether it's DCC or, or D&D, obviously. But how are you controlling the table, like making sure things are moving? Because, you know, we could come up with the mechanics all day, but is there certain like tips or tricks that you all could pass or have passed to other game masters say, hey, this is what I do and I, I'm looking at a game or I'm here that maybe they're, they're distracted, they're faltering. Like, what do you do to keep everyone engaged and involved? I, I would say that what, what you're starting to describe, Tim, sounds like a tension drift, which is going to happen, especially with a larger party. Uh, it happens a little bit with, with that uh, cap that we have at, at Gamers Core of, of six players per group. But uh, we, we can kind of keep it under control. Um, but, but to control attention drift, I, I think, and this, of, of course, was a lot easier pre-COVID when we were all face-to-face. But it, it's a matter of reading the table. Check the body language. See what folks are focused on. See if they're leaning in. See if they're kind of pulled back. Um, see who's gotten up and walked away from the table, who's wandering, who's on their phone. Um, and, and just like read the energy of the table and then maybe call a break. You know, don't, don't be afraid to call a five minute break so everybody can, can refresh. Uh, you know, some folks need to go outside, take a breath of fresh air. Uh, somebody might need a, a beverage. Somebody might need a snack. Um, but yeah, reading the table, I, I think is, is an invaluable skill for DMs, judges, and, and GMs to develop early on. Just be, you know, be in, in sync with your group. Um, read the cues. They'll let you know if what you're doing is working or if they're feeling frustrated. They, oftentimes they won't tell you, but they'll show you. Well, it's a, you know, it's a tragic irony that, that what's supposed to be the most exciting part of the game when you have a lot of players can just simply grind to a halt if it gets bogged down in the mechanics. So Absolutely. I guess the, the, the key thing here for me is, like I said earlier, like no thumbing through the rule book. That's just going to break immersion. It's going to take everybody out of the game. Now, the rules lawyers will heavily object to this. Um, and if they know it, and if if you agree with the ruling that they have on the tip of their tongue, then absolutely. But do not allow them to thumb through the rule book in the heat of the moment, because I think it just hurts the ADD set, like myself. Um, so come up with a fair ruling mm-hmm. and and move on. Um, and also, um, a lot of DMs they just they, they you know what do you roll? Uh, what, I hit AC fourteen. How many points of damage? Eight points of damage. Okay, great. All right, next player. I mean, that how boring is that? So look him in the eye, get animated, yeah. get excited, like describe that gaping, sucking chest wound you just created in that bugbear. You know, um, decapitations. You know, make it exciting. Really bring it to life. 
Um, if you know players will feed off of your energy, and that goes back into not thumbing and having your face in the rule book. Look them in the eyes and describe very colorfully and vividly what's going on, and that kind of pulls people back into the scene and re- makes them remember why they're doing this in the first place. You know, so yeah, be the storyteller. I mean, yeah, making the calls as a DM is like the it's the unpopular side of having to tell people, hey, I. In many moments, admit you don't know all the rules, but you are the DM, and you have to make a call to keep the story going. Exactly. Uh, unless you have like a, a rules lawyer out there, but that's that's part of the fun and uh, the unpopular side of being a DM. I agree with you too. You know, I don't. I personally do not like, and I've changed my style of ever revealing the current health and hit points of a, of a monster. And many DMs take this out. Like, I'm not telling you the total hit points. Like, no, you, you shouldn't, because that's not something you would know. Right. And there's a fine line between knowing what you know in game and, of course, a greater sin of, of metagaming. But describing the stuff and then watching the player's reaction, like, man, these guys are are tough. What do you mean he's not down? Is it? He's not down. I don't know what to tell you. But I wanted to comment on another point you mentioned earlier. Is like, you're right. Um, combat in... in uh, 5e, it almost seems like everyone thinks it has to go right to the death. Players refuse to retreat, and many DMs, I'm guilty of this, uh, fail to even have the monsters retreat unless it's into like some greater narrative. But I do like that about DCC with the morale, because it's more realistic. If I was in combat and saw half my guys get waylaid, and I'm a goblin, like, I'm pretty sure I'm not sticking around unless I'm dumb. You know what I mean? Like, something's wrong with me. And uh, it just adds to a greater sense of the, the storytelling. And especially in random encounters, like, you know, that giant snake, he was just looking for lunch, you know? He's not looking to fight to the, oh, whoa, <laughs> yeah. never mind. Wolf, you know, like, well, <laughs> yeah. let, let him retreat after he takes a whooping, you know? I mean, that'll, you know, not every combat has to draw on forever. Hey, and Micah, you know, you, you mentioned that, of course, a player is going to let you let you know. One way or another, um, everyone has their own style of communicating. But in your great experience, and Brendan, feel free to chime in here at any point, but like, what are some uh, tips and methods you could give to aspiring DMs, GMs out there of like dealing with uh, challenging player characters, like dominant personalities at the table or um, those that consume a lot of time at the table, do you have, you know, better yet, what are some things that have worked for you in the past? Uh, you know, what's your, your system? Sure, man. Um, Sam, you brought up a great point on this earlier. And and I've incorporated this into every campaign that I've run uh, since you introduced the idea to me. And that is session zero. Session zero is of such great import because it is the natural conversation it's almost like um, in in contract law, when you, you have the contract, you've reviewed it, you know it's solid, and then you hand it off to the other party, and they review it, and they send back a list of edits. You review that, you talk to your client, you make additional edits, you send it back to the other party, et cetera, et cetera. We get to do all of that during session zero. We talk to the party. And we figure out what type of game are you most interested in? We figure out during that, oftentimes during that meeting, I can put, I I gain the pulse of the group, 
but also of the individual members of the group. Yeah, if I if I may, um, real quick, because I know we wanted to cut to a break, but when we come back, perhaps you and I could talk specifically. You could finish that thought, but we could talk specifically sure, sure. what we did here in the Gamers Core campaign. Yep. to ensure we were surveying that group, like the details, yep. and then how we as DMs within our own cadre, if you will, took that information to prepare for the groups going forward in each campaign. And you all will get to hear that, the exact details coming on up when we return to the Gamers Core Podcast. Finally here. What's here? My copy of War Hamster: Wheels of Chaos. Hamster what now? It's a tabletop war game set in the future. Each player controls an army of hyper-intelligent rodents using these figurines. Oh, look at their little jetpacks. Yeah, and they fight in this apocalyptic wasteland for control of the universe using these dice and this ruler and these charts. Looks complicated. Who can we play with? You know, I have no idea. Lots of places will sell you a box, but it's not a game unless you have someone to play it with. That's why you should buy your next tabletop game from Gamers Core. We don't just have games, we have gamers, hundreds of them, who meet to play regularly at our spacious, family-friendly headquarters right here on historic Main Street in Ellicott City. Stop by today to find out how you can get in on the fun or check us out online at gamers-corps.store. All right, game night at Gamers Core. My space routes are so going to dust you. Gamers Core, more than a game store. Listen up, think fast, cause we're coming at you with the Gamers Core Podcast. We got Timmy in the house, running games until dawn. Remember, everybody keep calm and game on, on, on. Awesome. So, hey, we're back. Michael, you know, I didn't mean to cut you off that last spiel, but I wanted yeah, yeah, to cover because no you're about to hit a perfect thing. Because we were rolling through uh, our campaigns at first. It was literally like me, you, John and Mitch handling 30 plus gamers in our campaign. And now we're at over a hundred. We have 15 DMs and whenever we would meet, we always came and asked like, Hey, how do we like, how do we really nail this? How do we bring the most value to our gamers at the table? And I remember me, you, Mitch sat down um, and we, we filtered out this whole process of surveying the group during session zero. And I was wondering if you could expand upon that and take the lead and, and we'll go back and forth on it. Absolutely. Yeah. So in, in part of that conversation, so one thing that you really did to help us out as DMs at Gamers Core, Tim, was that you were kind of the talent scout. You picked the people who were going to lead the groups. You picked the people who were going to be the DMs, but you also picked the people who were going to be members of those groups. And I, I think that as, uh, you know, with, with, your, uh, with your career background um, and, and understanding how to manage people, um, you were always cognizant of which personalities were going to mesh and which were going to rub against each other. And I, I was really um, fortunate with Alpha Group that that whole initial group that we had, everybody really connected and everybody worked well together. And because folks were working so well together, it was easy for me to kind of feed off of them, to take their ideas and incorporate stuff directly into the game. When they go to look for something, oftentimes they found it, not because it was there, not because it was part of my adventure or because it was part of your overarching plot, 
but because they looked for it. They looked for it, and I kept them engaged by letting them find some of what they were seeking. Um, I, I would say that also during session zero, and, and I've kind of gotten away from this the last couple campaigns, but I need to get back to it, is the, the three pillars of D&D. You know, when we talk about the three pillars, we're talking about where does the party want to spend most of its time? Is it in exploration of the world? Is it in role-playing encounters? Is it in combat? And I would say consistently, even though Alpha Group has changed its membership roster a little bit, consistently they are thirds. The group wants to spend equal times exploring the world, spending oftentimes out of an eight-week campaign, Tim, they'll spend a session where they hardly roll dice at all because they're RPing. I would say that happens once in each campaign season. Um, And then combat. They don't want, you know, almost uh, 90% combat. They they want it about 33% of the time. And that's kind of easy for me to do. I I give them, you know, I give them the mic, I give them the camera, I give them the scene. And then sometimes they'll nudge me and say, hey, uh, I kind of wanted to have a scene with these two characters. And then I'll, I'll do the cut. And, and I'll, I'll let them have their scene. And, and the whole time, I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the time we have left in the campaign session to determine how, how long can I let this run out. Yeah. Oftentimes, fortunately, I, I let it run to its conclusion, which can sometimes be 10, 15 minutes. Um, but during that, I don't just let the other part of the group sit idle because I'm, I'm constantly checking... Like I said before, I'm, I'm checking body language, I'm checking facial expressions, I'm checking attention, um, and I'll I'll cut like I, you know, I, uh, Brendan, you you brought up a great point earlier. There there are some things we simply should not do. One of them I learned early on is splitting the party. Oh yeah, I hate splitting the party for all the reasons. Um, but if they are split up, I continuously do the cutscenes. Like group A might have two members in it. Group B might have three. And then one person is off on their own as group C. And I'm constantly cutting between them. Yeah. Like I'll give them, you know, like 10, 15 seconds and then, you know, cut out and go to the other group and, and keep doing that consistently, um, you know, almost as though we were in combat and, and they're they're taking their initiative turn. And sometimes and that's just I think to keep splitting the party is is just another uh, phrase for DM payback. You know, so oh, we'll get them this time. Uh, you know, but uh, I, I will say with the um, surveying of the group and and because this to me, Mike, as we were coming into it, it, was like how do we ensure everyone's involved, right? And this led to yeah. that survey. So, Brendan, you got to see this in real time when we did the session zero for Icewind Dale, and we were all were like chomping at the bit to figure out how to play in person in a safe way during like the midst of COVID, and we made it happen. Everyone did it well. And no issues, by the way, for those who are listening. Um, we caught some flack during it, but everyone was responsible and it was great and no issues whatsoever. But that survey really captured, again, like the thirds that Mike was referring to. Because we would literally ask players to rate, you know, what is the most important aspect to you about D&D? Is it problem solving? Is it role playing? Is it combat? You know, and then they could rate them. And we were able to look at that data uh, and be like, cool, now I know how to essentially have like a guiding post on top of all the plot lines and character backstories, if you will, but a guiding post on how to structure 
the episodes in each session going forward. Mm-hmm. But another aspect too that I think is critical to like you know ensuring everyone is involved and making sure that you're controlling the table is understanding each player to the degree of like, hey, are there any areas that we should never dabble in? You know, because I have players at the table that have legit phobias. And to where even mentioning it because of their phobia, it it puts them in an awkward spot. They won't say anything at the table, but you could tell that by the body language, like what Mike is getting to is like, oh, and it wasn't malicious, right? But it just dabbled, but it gives you an idea to be like, oh yeah, that's right. And quickly pivot to pull everyone back in so that the energy is going well in the room and people are feeding off each other. And then being able to, again, provide like the most compelling story at the table, the most engaging one, and keep everyone just ramping it up. Because the other day, it was less than two weeks ago, um, obviously Brendan brought up Icewind Dale. We are talking a little bit earlier. We're running a fantastic campaign. Um, but we went old school. We said, hey, let's let's all get back to a true gamer day. And we played Micah for about 11 hours. That was fantastic. Straight. Wow. And it was awesome. And I'll tell you what, dude. Uh, of the 11 hours, we all knew what we had to take breaks. Uh, and we ordered food. We even actually had birthday cake uh, for, for one of our gamers. And we took the breaks, but even after we ate, you could see that people were getting a little sluggish. So we're like, hey, we need to monitor this. But I'll tell you, out of the 11 hours, nine hours of it, I was tracking this, was all RP. Yes. The only time we got to the combat was at the back end, and it was just a a drawn-out situation. And even then, I would say it kind of felt fast because of the way we were doing it. We hit our groove with it. But by the time we looked, it was already like 11, 11 and a half hours that we played and we, we could have gone further, but I had to call it. Um, and I think we would have wound up going for another three, four hours. Like, it was that fun. Oh, but easily. mind you, we hit our groove. Like, this is a group where there's eight players and then me as the DM. And it was not as smooth like that in the beginning. But now that we've, we've got there, yeah, it went hands down fast yeah we're a well-oiled machine now yeah that's That's a lot of fun yeah you you bring up a really good point with with knowing where those triggers might be so with with alpha group right now i'm running a von richten's guide to ravenloft campaign season and i especially when we deal with horror role-playing i wanted to be very clear about three key words um it, it it comes up for me, it comes up every time when I run horror. Uh, it should come up every time for me, and, and I'm going to be more consistent with it. And those words are lines and veils and the X card. Uh, so yeah. please take a minute to expound upon the X card because we sure, sure. did that and it was awesome. Yeah, so knowing that everybody's lived experience is a little bit different and knowing that we come together at the table to spend time together, to become friends, to tell stories together, that because oftentimes our, our traumas are not necessarily obvious on our face or on our body, it's hard for folks to know what we've survived. So with, with the lines and veils, we decide during session zero whether certain things are going to be permissible. So when we're talking about a horror role-playing game, that could potentially cover the full gamut 
of all different types of horror, right? Whether it's slasher horror, gothic horror, uh, body horror, etc. Uh, and, and Von Richten's Guide goes into a number of those. I needed the part, I needed the group to tell me specifically where are the lines? What type of violence is not okay? And then where are the veils? So basically, a line is we don't do this in this group. And all it takes is one member of the group to say, hey, look, uh, this, I'm not okay with this thing. Well, one of, the, one of the lines we drew early on is violence against children. No matter what's going on in the game, there will never be a situation where the, the bad guys or even the, the, uh, the outer realms gods are going to do anything to a kid. It's not going to happen because we established that as a line. Veils basically say that sometimes bad stuff can happen, but I just don't want to see it. So we kind of like, you know, we fade to black when that happens. And, and that's, that's kind of cool because that, that's both a, a written narrative mechanic, but then it's also something that happens often in film. So people are kind of familiar with the idea of drawing a veil over something or, or drawing the curtain on it. Um, and then the X card is kind of, so understanding where the lines and veils are is cool, but sometimes you don't know what's going to trigger you. You don't know that the, the trauma you've experienced is going to be triggered by something that is seemingly disconnected from it. But it happens. It happens anyway. And in that moment, you might start to feel like you're having an anxiety attack or you might feel legitimately terrified. And that's not cool. Like, that's not what role playing is about. That's not what gaming is about. So I needed to establish, especially in the horror games, um, a, a safety net for them to use. And, and that's something as simple as a letter X either written on a card, like a three by five index card or like a post-it. And all a party member has to do is hold that up. And that signals me as the DM that, okay, we've bumped up against something. This person is triggered. Let's back up and, and, and head into a different direction. If and it happens no during the game. Question that. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, you, you don't question it. Right. Because, yeah, you and I have talked about this before, and, and as a DM yeah. and as a person, I, I believe strongly in player agency, right? Like, I'm, yeah, yeah me, me questioning that in the moment just puts you on the spot and just amps up your anxiety. One, I'm not going to do that as an individual, and I'm definitely not going to do that as, as a GCDM. I'm not going to yeah. put you on the spot and ruin it for you. For sure. I don't get as granular as that when I do it. Like, I, I yeah. you know, I know people do X cards and things like that. I think of it in terms of... Um, especially for horror is uh, you have to curate your group very well. Absolutely. And I, and I think of it in terms of MPAA rating as like, this is, this is general audiences. This is a PG game. This is PG 13. This is mm -hmm. 1980s uh, Cronenberg hard R, <laughs> you know, like, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 Um, and, and you, and uh, you know, I've seen, we've all seen all 29 of the Friday, the 13th films. You guys cool with that? Okay, great. Let's go. <laughs> you know, like, um, yeah. but I'm not looking to freak anybody out. And if anybody ever said, Oh man, you know, it's a, yeah, you, you don't want to do that. So, Hey gents, we're getting up, uh, yeah, we're getting up on the close end of our time here, but I just wanted to go around the table and, you know, if there's one thing about passing or running a large group, what is, uh, one sticking point that you'd pass to our community here? And what is one tip you'd give them to help them run a, a large group of like eight or more? 
for Brendan, I, I know you said combat, right? Because combat can slow it down. If, if you were to still maintain, like, hey, uh, yeah, combat can slow it down a large, large party. Do you have a tip that comes to mind or something they should do to run that group successfully? I mean, just this all just comes back to what I've mentioned so far. So, um, you know, no individual initiative, you know, players versus monsters to start and you can cycle through as the night goes by that speeds things up, uh, use timers for the indecisive real life timers, uh, roll attack and damage at the same time. That's another common one that people do. Um, don't roll monster damage. That's when players eyes really glaze over when you're sitting there, just average it out. So if they do two D six of damage plus one, uh, those monsters do seven points of damage. Uh, you know, don't roll it. Um, you know, simple stuff. That's that's basically what I would do. It, awesome. Yeah, because we talked about a lot. And to be honest with you, uh, first and foremost, uh, I do appreciate you even passing those tips to me because I feel that it's ha- enhanced our Icewind Dale game. And I know that when I've used it at other tables, um, it's helped out a ton uh, and helped me flow well because I used to run – Micah knows uh, one of our favorite uh, family games I took over from him. It helped yes. me run that game very smoothly. And, and uh, speaking of which, like, Micah, what is one thing for you, good sir, that, that sticks out about, you know, the challenge, a challenge about running a large group? And what's the one solution you could pass to help people overcome that challenge? Yeah. Um, un- unfortunately, it, it's not – it's not an easy thing to describe, but it's it's an easy thing to witness. Like if you're at the table, you you can see it better than you could actually describe it. But basically, what it comes down to, and and we've we've all discussed this uh, this evening during this conversation, and and that's that you have to read the table. Uh, if if they're if they're drifting in their attention, then you you gotta you gotta grab them and bring them back in. Um, and sometimes that's changing the, the pace of the action. Um, if, if they're getting glazed over because it's been one combat encounter after another, then give them a rest. You know, let, let them take a break. Let, let them get a short rest in, uh, bind up their wounds a little bit and, and figure out what their, what their next step might be. Even if that takes 20 minutes of, of game time, go ahead and do it. Slow down the pace a little bit if need be. But then also don't be afraid that if, if they're drifting that you might have to increase the pace. Um, and I would say absolutely essential to me has streamlined my combat across the board is having that combat tracker. And, and I'll go over it again. It's, it's the character name, the player name, PC's AC, armor class, PC's hit points, PC's uh, passive perception. This keeps me from having to hint to the player, oh yeah, what is your passive perception again? Because that kind of lets the player know, you know, just pulling them out of the immersion lets the player know, oh, he's about to hit us with something. So if I've got it on the card, I can look at it real quick and say, oh yeah, my monster has a stealth roll of 18. The highest passive perception in the group is a 15. If nobody's calling for a perception check, I got him. And I don't have yeah. to pull them out of it. That's awesome. I am definitely going to incorporate that into my game now with that combat tracker. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then the last column on that combat tracker is the the current effects. That way I don't have it, you know, just in my notes. I'm not relying on the player to remember that they're under an effect. Um, 
but yeah, I, I've got that there. And if there's a third, I would say um, the DM screen is an absolutely invaluable piece of equipment. You can tailor these things very easily with post-it notes, with three by five index cards and a little bit of scotch tape. Uh, you can put in there whatever you specifically need to refer to. Um, and I've, I've got a DM cheat sheet. Uh, wherever we upload this podcast, I, I can make that available also. And it's, it's yeah, just be a, fantastic. We could just attach yeah. it as a link or something for the audience. Yeah, just a two-sided document that's got like all of the stuff that I really, really need. I've got it in a plastic sleeve. I keep it with my DM screen at the table. Micah, are you talking about that what to roll that what to roll sheet for DCC? That's fantastic. That's a third party thing, but I keep that handy. It yeah. just has like what a combat role Absolutely. is, what a spell check role is. Yep. Yeah, it's great. And it's all about systems. I think for me, guys, it, you know, having run several large groups, I think during COVID, man, I was running uh, five groups a week. Uh, to make people to ensure that our community was uh, had a social outlet to be there for our community. Some groups varied from like five to as much as eight, and it was all online uh, for a vast vast majority until um, the Icewind Dale game. But it was all online, and I had to come up with very crafty ways, and that's probably conversation topics for other pieces. But to me, if the session zero was crucial. Because that gets into preparation. And if you're going into a world that you know and love, uh, whether it's your favorite um, one shot or in my case for several quests and adventures of last year, um, my beloved Dragonlance and World of Prin, mm-hmm. it was easier <laughs> for me to grasp and do what I need to do because I didn't have to think too much about the storyline. But I, I just had to focus on the characters and their backstory. And my preparation for it was like, taking at least five, 10 minutes at some point during the week before the next session to get in there to uh, look at what they wanted, what I had going on compared to the quest. And then at the table or on the mic at the digital table, running the game. And then whenever I would hear or see a player starting to lag at the table, like we were talking about earlier, and it's outside of combat, I could dip into my prepared bullet points. I'm a bullet guy, but bullet points and entice that player back to the table. Absolutely. As long as there was a smooth transition. So I think, gents, like we're nailing it in here. Um, great stuff all around. The preparation, the tips on the combat, setting expectations at the table, and then controlling the table. Uh, I want to thank you both for your time. It's been awesome. And for those listening, I hope you enjoyed it. This is going to be going on our goals at least once a week or when we have something fun to talk about and hope to see you all in the store soon. Everyone is returning. Yesterday we had our first ever uh, in a year, our uh, first ever pre-release event for Magic the Gathering Modern Horizons 2. We had over 50 people in the game rooms. It was awesome. It was good to see people laughing, hear laughing, see them smiling again. And speaking of magic, thanks to uh, the hard work of one of the co-founders, Julio. He helped us uh, drive, uh, he was and is the driving force to help us get um, the premium status of being a WPN premium store. The nearest one uh, from Gamers Core here in Ellicott City. The nearest premium store is down in Washington, D.C. So what does that mean to all our gamers down here is that we will have exclusive product for you. We will be ensured to run bigger events, better events, give you the best prize support, 
and then keep growing, 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 and whatever we have to do to bring our community together, you all know we're gonna make it happen. So upcoming events we have coming on up, I wanna give a shout out to you guys specifically, because on June 26th, starting at about noon, I believe, we are holding our first ever Dungeon Crawl Classics. If you have not played a DCC game, you all need to come on down, get at the table with Judge Brendan, get at the table with Judge Micah, and I promise you, you are going to have a fantastic time and you will earn your stamp. In order to understand what that means, you have to show up. You will earn your stamp. I will hold on to it and put it up on our future wall of honor. And uh, that's all I have, gents. Thank you for your time. Thank you for once again appearing on the Gamers Core podcast. Uh, Brendan, Micah, anything you have to say to close it on up? Gentlemen. Yeah, just thanks for including me, guys. I, I appreciate it. Um, you know, it, it it's nice to know that um, that my world-weary wisdom that I've accumulated over three decades behind the screen uh, could actually help uh, not just, you know, new and up-and-coming players, but also uh, folks who are stepping behind the screen for their first time. So, yeah, just thank you. Thank you very much. I think we've said all I want to say, so uh, keep calm, game on. Keep calm. Game on. We'll see you all soon. Gamers Core Podcast. Keep calm. Game on.